When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Trish, ask me where I've been. Where have you been, Lorraine? I've been in a car with my 17-year-old. <gasps> is, that, is, that, is that safe? Is that yeah. legal? Imagine that. Her driving, L plates, everything. Me crying because she's still six in, in my head. In your heart. Wanted your to heart. hug her and love her. Her saying, stop it, I'm trying to do a hill start. Me being a terrible driver. I offer no advice. It's all coming your way, Trish. You've got to get I ready. I know, I know. I wanted to put my bike helmet on just in case, which we said that was ridiculous. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin and I'm Lorraine Candy and we're on a mission to tackle all the big and small issues that affect women in this stage of our life from insomnia to mind and body wellness HRT to sex drive careers and relationships and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens. In this episode we're going to be talking to American writer Ada Calhoun whose book Why We Can't Sleep Women's New Midlife Crisis takes an eye-opening look at the unique challenges we Gen X women are facing in our midlife including all that really annoying stuff that pings into our minds when we wake up in the 4am worry zone. And if one of your worries happens to be your teenagers being less than truthful, we'll be discussing why it is that teenagers lie and what you can do about it without starting World War Three in the house. And Lorraine and I have also been trying out some beauty products and wellness therapies. And I'm afraid to say, Lorraine, that mine involves singing. God awful. <laughs> It is, but it was it was very good. So I have seen it. you singing. I feel at some kind of karaoke situation, well, you, which wasn't official as, karaoke, but you were singing. As long as uh, you didn't hear it and just saw me, that's probably that's probably good. <laughs> um, but you know um, what would actually help me really to relax at the moment would be going on holiday. I know. In fact, you know, I should actually be on a little boat sailing in the Ionian Sea right now. But um, the holiday that I booked a year ago, because you know I like to be organised. <laughs> Well, it's been cancelled because um, the Greeks don't want us Brits uh, at the moment. No, it's understandable. uh, We've messed up. We've rescheduled the trip in a few weeks' time, but, you know, it could all change again. We could all be going back into lockdown. Who knows? But I think staycation is probably um, definitely on the cards this year. Tell me about your holidays. What what do you like to do? we go to Cornwall, where I'm from, and my parents and my family are down there. So we've been doing that since they were very, very tiny. But gradually, over the time... And with great sadness, the two eldest ones, the teenagers, have been saying things like, do we have to come with you to Cornwall again? We're not coming unless we can bring all of our friends. So that's kind of half the kind of North London massive that comes down with us. But do you find, I find that actually going on holidays is actually really quite stressful because... You it's have really a holiday, so much organising to do, isn't there? You get you you know you're you're having to get all the stuff done for your job because you're taking two weeks off. So you've got loads and loads of extra work to do. Then you've got to do everybody's packing and think about all the kind of eventual uh, eventualities that might happen in that sort of women doing the emotional labour kind of yes. way. And um, I always find that by the time I get somewhere, I'm just so stressed. <laughs> 
best. They're normally all the, the family are ready to expect a big old kickoff on the first day. My worst journey ever was taking all, um, I can't remember, I think my husband had to work later than me, so I volunteered to drive them all down to Cornwall on my own, and the, um, Mabel was a tiny baby, and I was still breastfeeding, so I had to stop every three hours, and I stopped at Exeter service station, and because they're all quite young, I had to make them come to the loo with oh. me, and they had to stand outside the loo, and I picked the one without the door, and then had to have the baby on my lap, and they oh kept opening the door God. on me, <laughs> and then I had to feed her in the in the service station cafe and this really grumpy old man came up to me and said I think it's disgusting breastfeeding in public um can you not do it um and then the little ones opposite were just like they're going disgusting 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 (laughs) because they're not allowed to say that word and I kept saying shut up and they kept saying don't say shut up you're not allowed to say shut up it was the journey from from hell hell. I think camping is my worst nightmare for children (laughs) I quite like it I I mean they love it they love it but my back can't take it is the problem I can't be lying on a thin blow up mattress it just doesn't work (laughs) doesn't work for my (laughs) Neil my knackered back yeah exactly exactly Our special guest today is Ada Calhoun, an American writer whose new book, Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis, is one of the most honest and refreshing things you'll read about everything we women are going through in midlife, from the physical and emotional stress to the social pressures and economic strains, all of which is compounded, of course, by the menopause. Hi, Ada. How are you? You good? Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you. It's great to be here. At the beginning of your book, you dedicate it to all to midlife American women. Um, And you say at the beginning, you are not imagining it. It is not just you. Now, that saying kind of sums up the reason we did this podcast, because we felt we were imagining it. And then we realized that it wasn't just us. There were a lot of women going through this. At what point in your research and with all the interviews that you were doing, did you have this kind of epiphany that, oh my God, it's all the midlife women I'm interviewing. They're all going through this. So I, I was really all alone in it. I thought when um, when I was having this horrible summer a couple of years ago, I had lost a bunch of work. I was felt like I was getting older. I was waking up in the middle of every night, like around three, four in the morning and staring at the ceiling and worrying about credit card debt and my future and my kids. And it, it just felt, it felt awful. And then I was asked to do a story for Oprah magazine. And the response to that article really convinced me that this was really widespread. And a lot of the women wrote to me and said, oh my gosh, I was up at three or four in the morning thinking it was just me. And that was the moment at which I thought, oh, this is really, this is really something, if not universal, then more widespread than I thought it was. You were surprised by that. I was surprised. I, you know, I think a lot of women of our generation grew up very independent uh, and, and and very much geared toward taking care of our own business and feeling kind of in control of ourselves. You're talking about Gen X, aren't you? So women born between sort of 65 and 80, that kind of generation. The core group, yeah, is that Gen X sort of neglected generation. Ada, I, what really interested me in the book, and, and Lorraine mentioned it, is your argument the experience of women like us in midlife now is different to previous generations because we are Gen X. What are the kind of the unique challenges you think that we're facing 
So I always want to say it's not a competition because I think our mothers and our grandmothers dealt with so many things that we fortunately (laughs) don't have to deal with. But I will say that generally speaking, our mothers and grandmothers weren't working full-time jobs while trying to raise families, um, which is just a huge shift that I think we haven't really paid enough attention to, especially because many of us waited to have families. uh, And so then we're in our forties, we're dealing with young children, often aging parents because boomers are living longer than ever with chronic conditions while working full-time, while having no boundaries between home and work because of cell phones and computers, while going through perimenopause. And it's that combination that I think has proved incredibly toxic to a lot of women and really overwhelming. And everyone feels like they should be doing it all perfectly. And the book is basically an argument saying, why do we think that? Why do we think we should be looking amazing, nailing our job, being great caretakers, everyone around us, without something something cracking mm. in that. Just out of interest, had you heard the phrase perimenopause before you started writing the book? Because I think you said you'd only really heard it in the last year. So yeah, it's, yeah, that's it was, what we found. That Working on that chapter made me more angry than anything else. And there's a lot to be angry about in the book as far as yes. what we went through in terms of like recessions and graduating into terrible job markets and just this bad luck that's haunted us as a generation. But what made me the maddest was that, you know, I'm an educated woman. I grew up in a city. I went to my annual exam every year without fail. I listened, I took notes and no one ever said the word perimenopause to me. So there I am like in my early forties with all these weird symptoms thinking I'm dying or, or going crazy. I learned that phrase from a piece I read in an American book and took, took it to my doctor and said, do you think this is the perimenopause? Do you, I mean, it's, it is really shocking. It's another way in which women are talked about or ignored, really. Even now, I think there is the stigma around menopause and perimenopause um, and talking about it really frankly. I, you know, one woman who yeah. I interviewed for the book and she said, I, I don't want to use the word because it feels like I'm admitting that my life as a sexual being is over or that I'm getting old and she doesn't want to be seen that way. Yeah, I guess the, the main point of the book that we should make quite clearly is it isn't about sleep. It's essentially, it's about a midlife crisis. Um, this is a phrase, particularly in Europe, that's often used in connection to men. It's, it's not often used in connection to women. But apart from the medical parts of this life, it is a midlife crisis, isn't it? How would you describe midlife crisis in terms of the book? Well, in America, it's the same. When you say midlife crisis, you picture a man in a convertible with a much younger woman, uh, you know, balding, but trying to c- cover it up. And what I'm arguing for in the book is that women in midlife face many of the same feelings of anxiety around age, but at the same time, we're doing so much caregiving. Traditionally, the role of the caregiver for aging parents and for children and for many other people it falls to women. So they're doing all that while also having this breadwinning role in many families. It's that combination that I argue really does generate a crisis in many, many women and, mm. and a legitimate crisis. I mean, it, how, how can you um, go through all of that and not have this sense of sense of panic. I, I just, I think it's a, it's a natural response and it's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. I think women feel overwhelmed, don't they? And that leads to panic attacks. That's why you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning or sitting outside places in your car, crying your eyes out, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of crying in cars. I, I know. I, I noticed that a lot of crying in cars. I think it's interesting when you were talking about the Generation X stuff, because I read this study, a UK study that described us, Generation X, as the hardest working demographic. 
Um, we've grown up being independent, resourceful and self-reliant. But when you match that with perimenopause, it's just a bit of a disaster, isn't it? Because we have these levels of expectation and perfection combined with all everything that you guys have just been saying. It's, it's like this perfect storm and is impossible to to really make work for you as an individual and you have to make some adaptions and, and give yourself some space and some you know leeway with all of this don't you I think that feeling as well is particularly for working mothers um is that sort of what next oh my god I've <laughs> been through this I've been through that and you keep waking up thinking what next and actually it's okay not to do it it's okay to fail <laughs> It's revolutionary for you to say that. It really is. It's like, it's something that I just think we all need to tell ourselves over and over again, because I do think that because we were the first generation of women for whom so much was possible, those messages we got in our childhood and that we got coming up through school were wonderful in some ways, but in other ways, they, they set us up for a lot of anxiety at this stage of life. We grew up being told you can be anything. You can do anything. Look at how many opportunities you have. And that somehow along the way, this got internalized as the message. We must do everything. We must do everything and we must do it all perfectly. And I think once we hit middle age, we have to reckon with our decline of fertility as part of it. The way that the job market has changed is part of it. You know, we're not, we're not necessarily going to get everything we wanted. We won't necessarily get the families we wanted or the career we wanted. And we have to really let that go. And that I think for us is especially hard because we grew up thinking we were supposed to do all of it. It's funny because in a way um, I've found that sort of midlife phase, I'm people at me all the time. We've talked about this, whether it's the kids, the, the family, the people at work, whatever. You're not on your own, yet you feel really, really lonely unless you can talk to women who are experiencing what you're experiencing. So it's not this physical solitude. It's this sort of mental, emotional solitude. And, and in a way, I think what you're describing is, is a lonelier kind of loneliness. The number one message I've gotten from women who read the book was it made me feel less alone. Um, and the number two one was it made me feel seen. And I think mm. that a lot of women at this age feel invisible and they feel like they're doing so much for other people. And that even if they're in these crowds, that they are in some sense alone and not being seen. And I think um, the more we can sort of do that for each other, the, the better off we are. What's been the, the reaction to the book in, uh, in America, Ada? Has, has it uh, started conversations, do you think? It's been amazing. I mean, I really, I, I've been so blown away by it. And I've been getting messages from all over the country for women saying that they, and from, from all demographic groups and all the states saying that they used it as a tool to start conversations, to start book clubs that, that became really like midlife crisis club. It gave them a permission, I think, to speak really honestly with their friends about some of the things that maybe they had thought they were going through alone that they were ashamed of. Mm -hmm. We talk a little bit about sleep because it's so much a bit of the title and I think that it's kind of pivotal to women. So the women you talk to who'd kind of come through it, gone out the other side a bit, what were their main ways of tackling this sleep? Because it's not really about sleep, is it's this waking up, isn't it, really? It's more about waking up than going to sleep. Yeah, so it's funny because I, I like the title, but I do think some people like saw it and were like, oh, yes, this will help me fall asleep. And then yes. oh, there are all these people on Goodreads, like, one star did not help me fall asleep. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry to those people. I apologize publicly for that. But I think we're dealing with so much and there's so much anxiety and there's also a hormonal component to sleep cycles. Yes. And I think what, what tends to happen is you wake up at two or three or four in the morning and because there's so much going on it just your mind starts racing and you can't fall back asleep 
So it's something a lot of women describe to me is just this sense of middle of the night panic. And then of course they wake up tired and there is this really vicious feedback loop of if you're tired, you're more stressed. If you're stressed, you can't sleep. So I will say what happened for me is I still do wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, but because I have done all this research, I know why, like I've, I've really confronted it within myself. I know what it's about. I know what the things that I'm worried about are and why I'm worried about them and what the reality is. And I fall back to sleep a lot faster. So I feel like if it doesn't help you sleep a lot more, it like, like at least help you, <laughs> help you not have like as miserable a time at three in the morning. That is, that is the mm-hmm. promise I can make. I think that's the key, isn't it? When you wake up rather than panicking and going with the panic, it's to take a moment, take some breaths and just think this is, I've just woken up. I'll just wait to go back to sleep again, as opposed to, yeah. I will now solve all of my midlife problems <laughs> in the next hour and a half. And if I haven't done that, I will get up and solve them and wake everyone else up and solve them. Why am I so hot? That's really <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think those questions, I think, I hope that the book tries to answer those questions. Like, why don't I have more money? Why am I not further ahead of my career? Why didn't I have as many children as I wanted? What, you know, why why am I sweating? Like all of those questions that I think can keep us up. I think that the book kind of knocks them out one by one. So at least, you know, why it doesn't mean you're not going to sweat or be broke, but you will know why. And there is a power in that. Have men read your book? Have you had men read your book at all? I've had a lot of women give the book to their male partners and also to their mother-in-laws. There's a big booming second second tier market in the mother-in-law category. (laughs) I think there is this this disconnect sometimes between the generation before us that just sees us as having had so much opportunity and doesn't get why we might be trying to raise our kids differently than we were raised and things like that. And I think the book maybe answers those questions Mm -hmm. for those women. But I I actually had somebody, a man, review it in the New Republic. And he said that he, as a Gen X man, he related to everything in the book except the perimenopause chapter. And then by the end of it, he thought he was going through menopause. (laughs) Excellent. <laughs> I think that's the key, isn't it? Often I think in these times you need the people around you who are not your friends to be getting the narrative out to be, because it's, there's so much cliche and tradition around how we talk about women going through the menopause and how we kind of make fun of them and make fun of ourselves exactly. really, which, mm-hmm. you know, which feeds into how men talk about it, which is kind of, I always get quite cross if I hear men talking about mm-hmm. hot, sweaty women in meetings. It really drives me mad. Oh, me too. It's it's so dismissive. And I think when we play Rude. for laughs and, and, you know, all the like the greeting cards and the, I mean, this uh, <laughs> there's sort of a nastiness to it. And it, it keeps women, I think, from talking about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that your book sort of made me realize, even though it's not like a big delve into s- sleep and, and how to get to sleep and things, is it just made me realize that I spent probably about 10 years of not getting any sleep because I had my twins at 37. So I didn't really, I mean, definitely for the first three years, I don't think I got one full night's sleep. And then it's very broken. And then it carried on being a different kind of the waking up at 4 a.m. because of the menopause. And I think, again, that's quite unique to our generation isn't it because we're having our kids later and it bumps right up into perimenopause that's right and and there it's it's common because we have families so much later in this generation to have this sort of blurry phase between not having periods because of children and breastfeeding whatever and then not because of perimenopause and I think that we need good doctors right to like talk to about these things and I was so surprised in the research by how few 
general practitioners and how yeah. gynecologists have training in menopause and menopause mm-hmm. medicine. And, and um, we really need to work hard to find people who will, will help us. Thanks so much, Ada. It's been so useful. Um, and I'm so glad that this kind of book is out there. And I would say about five years ago, when Trish and I were beginning to talk about things, there just wasn't this kind of conversation going on. And now I think in the last year, we've come across two or three books that are aiming to educate women and talk to people about it. And there's TV programs. And I think this is suddenly becoming part of the narrative. Yeah, it's so great. And I'm so glad you all are doing this. It's a big, it's a big thing to talk about it. It's really important and it really saves lives and and bless you for doing it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. It was lovely talking to you, Ada. Hello, I'm Mariella Frostrup, and you can hear my afternoon programme on Times Radio. Join me as I talk to renowned guests about the worlds of culture, lifestyle and entertainment. Listen to my afternoon show for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker, online at times.radio and via the Times Radio app every Monday to Thursday, 1pm to 4pm on Times Radio. Know your times. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you so much for joining us, Ada. And a reminder that her book, Why I Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis, is published by Grove Press and it's out now. So Trish, my little friend, what are we doing now? So now we are at the point in the show where we talk about what our teenagers have been getting up to and how we've been dealing with that. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about lying, the little white lies and the full blown fibs. Chances are, if you have a teenager living in your house, you will have caught them being untruthful at some point or another. But why do they do it? And at what point does it become a serious problem? Lorraine, what sort of subterfuge have you had to deal with? Well, I got four of them telling big fat whoppers all the time. I think it's not a case of if your children will lie. It's a case of when I think I was being polite, wasn't I? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing we all need to think about, Trish, particularly you, um, (laughs) is that we all lie. So when we say to them, just tell granny that you loved those socks, just tell her (laughs) that you love her hair, just tell her she has not put on any weight. We're just, we're asking them to lie in a million little ways. And we justify it. So I think we all have to just accept it happens and it's going to happen and lose any kind of moral outrage around it. I mean, mine have fibbed about where they've been, one of them quite seriously. (laughs) And they also talk about, uh, they fib about their homework. So you can go from anything, can't it? From, I I only had one biscuit, knowing that the whole lot have been eaten, Mm -hmm. um, to, I bought something I shouldn't, I've taken something I shouldn't I've done something I shouldn't and I think we've pro- we've probably been through the whole um, lot of it from my point of view and this I've learned from interviewing quite a lot of therapists around uh, 
teenagers and how they react to things emotionally for the column that I write for the Sunday Times magazine. Your most powerful ally with a lying teenager is the lying teenager's conscience. It's not, not your moral outrage. It's not you saying, don't do this. It's you saying, this is about trust. It's not about lying. It's about lack of trust. And that's dangerous. That puts you in dangerous situations, which you feel as a parent bad about. But most therapists will tell you that, that their own conscience is really powerful. I mean, you know, I know it doesn't look like it, but actually a teenager's conscience is really very much part of their makeup and they will usually work out what they should and shouldn't do themselves. And if you can get to talk to them without judging them or criticizing them, they will get to that point and they will realize, even if they don't say it out loud, that they should not have done that. So use their conscience. And a lot of their lying is around fear. It's fear of being found out. And I think the other thing parents should take into account is it's about privacy Mm. they're separating from you philippa perry is very good on this in her book they are separating from you as a tribe the family tribe and they're going to another tribe so they have to have it has to be private a lot of that so they can't tell you it so if they construct a lie around it Mm. that's them protecting their privacy in many ways Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's it's interesting isn't it because when you think back to when they were when they were little and when they were toddlers and you know it's quite hilarious some of the the lies (laughs) they lie about everything when they're toddlers but it's actually seen as a a positive developmental milestone isn't it because it shows that they're aware of what's happening in someone else's mind they've got the cognitive capacity to inhibit themselves from stating the truth they can concoct a plausible alternative to the truth so that's actually seen as developmentally important but obviously in teenagers it's not necessarily a good thing that that they are lying to you and as you say it's about honesty and honesty is also a developmental process and a progression in their kind of in their journey to being adults the other thing they often put themselves accidentally in dangerous situations Mm -hmm. and I think they get quite scared about that afterwards and they often tell lies as a way of self-soothing so -hmm. they're making it feel a bit better because they're saying it wasn't as bad as it was which makes them feel like they've not quite put themselves in as dangerous a position as they have so it's a, it's a protective thing as well one of the things that I tried to do when as my girls got older was put other women around them that they might be more inclined to tell the truth to <laughs> because you know they don't quite know that maybe they don't know how I'm going to react as, as they were going through and we we're always quite good at I think we're quite good I mean they'll probably say no but I think we're quite good at not showing absolute mm-hmm. horror and outrage and realizing that yeah they're going to make mistakes they're mm-hmm. teenagers so you're test- quite good at staying calm because that's the number one piece of advice with, with well this, yes is when you find that they've lied stay calm I'm quite good at staying calm in that Mm. moment but if another lie happens fairly quickly afterwards and we've already been through a huge process then I might not I mean I am quite short-tempered as we know (laughs) as we know as we know (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not I don't think you can get moral and draconian about it we would be really hypocritical and they spot that immediately and you can't you can't take it personally well I'm sure they're probably equally dishonest at times but one of (laughs) them is one of them's better at it in terms of not being so about it's a bit more sneaky like I was a sneak one of them's a bit more like me and then the other one we just catch them out and it's it's quite funny sometimes it's quite funny other times it's like quite worrying but I think the thing that 
that maybe I haven't been as good at as, as I should be is that it's not to take it personally because you sort of like to think that you're this warm caring you want them to be able to tell you stuff but it's not an attack on you is it as an individual no, it's not no. um, it's testing boundaries isn't yeah it? I don't think you can take it personally I mean we I think sometimes you're right it's quite funny we've got one of my children is really good at a bare-faced like she could be holding a broken valuable antique vase and she no, I didn't do that <laughs> it wasn't me <laughs> wasn't me exactly the blaming the other one I think we get quite a lot wasn't me wasn't me it was him it was her do you know that my favorite group lie that mine told Mm. which is to this day we do not know who did it still Mm. we when we got married we got given a really nice rug and um it had little bits of tapestry at the end of it It was an antique thing I went down into the lounge one day and all the tapestry had been cut off with a (gasps) pair of scissors And they were still quite, I think Mabel was baby, so we counted her Count her out. out, yeah. But the three of them, we still, to this day, still do don't not know. know. That's it. They each blamed that, each other. Yeah, they won't tell you till till they're Never. about 30. I think I only told my parents the worst lie I ever told them when I was about 30. What did you do? Oh, tell me. Had. I mean, if my kids did this, I'd be furious. I was 17 and my friend and I pretended that we were staying the night at each other's houses. And obviously nobody checked up classic, on those days. Classic one. And then we got on a train to Leeds to go and see a band. <laughs> stayed stayed with an older friend at, at uni in his disgusting like house share and then got the really early train back the next day. And they never knew. Got away with you it. You think they never knew? They never knew. They promised that honestly, they didn't know. <laughs> I think there's plenty of other things that they did know. But obviously, I think some people will have more serious issues or things, yes. concerns that yeah. they will have with their, with their teenagers lying. And I think, you know, the sort of the, the official advice is that if, if they're lying to cover up drinking or using drugs or anything that might be illegal, that could be an indicator of an, an underlying problem. Because you, as you said, lying is often based on fear and you know if a child has had something traumatic happen to them in the past it could be linked to that as well so I think if your teenager is lying for those reasons or they're repeatedly making up on truths or wildly embellishing the facts and if they don't seem to have any guilt about it you probably do need to enlist some professional help yeah. and I think the first port of call would probably be your GP wouldn't it for a referral to CAMS which is the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. There's a website called welldoing org, um, which also recommends therapists and you can look there for um, therapists who specialize in family therapy as well you know you, you you take your chances I guess with them but people recommended therapists are quite good and I think it is a time when if that kind of serious lying is occurring and they are in physical or emotional danger then you probably do need professional help to pick your way through that and a safe place for them to go and talk about it they can also text helplines um Mm -hmm. to talk about what they've said because i think teenagers often feel incredibly their weight of conscience is is heavy for them and they do feel incredibly guilty about what they've done because they're scared because it's all new and it's terrifying i think if you i remember that as a teenager when you get drunk for the first time you you're terrified um, there's familylives.org mm-hmm. and teentips.co.uk is a really good website for all kinds of help around family and therapy. And a little bit later on in the series, we will be talking to Teen Tips. I think the main thing is to say they all do it and they we've all got it. to go through it. Not all, if, they all it's do when. it. It's when, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm.
Now, Trish, look at me. Look at my face. What do <laughs> I you think? See you. I Come can on, see is it glowing? So I have been trying and testing for uh, five days, six days now, something called the Light Box. It's quite interesting. It's called the mm. Boost the Light Salon. So this is a lightweight silicon mask that you wear on your face for 10 minutes a day, every day, and then on some days you have to do it twice. And it's to promote collagen growth um, mm -hmm. in your skin because, you know, we're unplumped. We're unplumped in our midlife. The, the plumping disappears. And we go a bit dry, so it's to hydrate your skin. And it's it's red and near-infrared light, which there's a quite a lot of science around how that just kind of motivates your skin to revive collagen. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to help with wrinkles as well, stop you getting wrinkles. It's one of those mm. things, this mask, that you have to do every day. You pop it on. Your face glows bright red. It is a little bit scary. <laughs> Not at. your actual, it just makes your face look like it's glowing. But it, well, yeah. yes, it's in, it's a slightly warm. It's not painful. And actually I had okay. no kind of allergic reaction to it. I did have to answer the door to a delivery man with it, which was <laughs> probably worth putting on YouTube for the mold. Hannibal um, Lecter, yes. Yeah, it was a bit like okay. that, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it just stimulates everything. I guess that's the basis of it. Now, it's quite mm. expensive. It's £329 um, for the mask. But there are a lot of them out there of varying degrees. But the great thing about this one is it's silicon. It's very light. Yeah. It's very easy to put on. You just strap it um, on your head and you just... You can just walk around. You can't really, it says in the thing, you can just get on with your day for that 10 minutes. You can't really, because you can't no. see anything. It's a weird, oh. bizarre <laughs> don't, light. Don't, don't go down the stairs. Through. And also you are able to put these kind of hydrogel masks underneath. Now they're just a complete and utter waste of money, I think, hydrogel. All masks like that I find mm. ridiculous because A, they're not, the sustainable footprint is quite bad. And B, you might as well just put a serum on your face with your mm -hmm. actual hands and do that. Um, so don't bother with, with the masks. But I have to say, mm. and I've had independent uh, verification <laughs> of this, I do think it's made my skin look it's a lot good. brighter and just less sallow, actually. And it feels way healthier. So, And that's only after just a, six days of it. So, But you, you would literally have to do it. it every day of your life or you're doing it like... For no, it's every a week day. To... Oh, you right. do it every day, I think, yeah. for ten minutes. Um, okay, but you can tr travel with it, and it's e you know it's easy to use. And you have to charge it up. I'm assuming it's yes, got a little you charger. Charge, you plug yeah. it in and charge it. But it comes with all of that. It comes with all yeah. the charging. Comes with the mask. I mean, I suppose you think that's the sort of it's it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because that sort of treatment, like a couple of years ago, you probably would only ever get it in a very expensive salon. Exactly. And now yeah. you've got these products that you can actually do yes. at home. What so have you been testing oh, well, this week? I'm oh very goodness. excited about I'm this. I'm very excited about this as well because I've been singing. <laughs> I've been doing some Come singing. Come on, Barbara Streisand. Oh, no, 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 none of that. It's more sound therapy I've been doing. So I saw this study by, you know, that Swedish skincare brand, Foreo. They yes. do those really amazing little sort of silicon sonic um, yes. facial cleanser things. And they teamed up with the British Academy of Sound Therapy to try and understand the beneficial effects singing can have on your skin. Apparently, singing along to I'm your I'm not sure song, your, so your singing is going to benefit my skin, quite No, frankly. it's definitely not not going to benefit no. your skin or your ears for that Go matter then, but, tell us about um, it. <laughs> just singing along to your favorite song for five minutes a day of course it can it, it's going to make you look more glowy because apparently because it boosts your mood it increases your oxygen levels reduces stress 
So I had a little Zoom session with this lovely lady called Liz Cooper from the British Academy of Sound Therapy, um, which is this organisation that uses sound and music to improve health and well-being. And uh, we did it on a Monday morning and it was just brilliant. I was really buzzing afterwards. No <laughs> what Monday did you sing? A bit. Well, I'll come to that. I've so been I'm to just... Paradise, but I've never been to me. <laughs> yes. I will survive. There's no. a list. I'm going to tell you there's a okay. list um, that Foria created on uh, Spotify. It's a playlist of 10 songs that boost your mood and dopamine levels, either because of the lyrics, because the lyrics are so jolly, um, or they have a really great rhythm that kind of gets you moving, yes. or they just make you breathe in a certain way because of the phrasing of, of the, the songs. And, and all of those things obviously increase uh, your oxygen levels and reduce your stress. So she took me through some warm-ups, um, and you have to start with your body, so you have to kind of do these sort of neck and shoulder relaxation things. Then we did some breathing exercises to focus on breathing from your tummy. As we know, yeah. breathing from the tummy is, is what calms your nervous system yes. rather than the chest breathing, which is your kind of makes it worse. fight and flight kind of response yes. breathing. Then we did these um, three different vocal warm-ups to um, stretch my vocal folds, as she called them. Oh. <laughs> which I think is another word for chords, but in the profession, the profession was called uh, fold. Would you like me to do one for you? I'd, I'd quite, <laughs> I would pay good money. Go on. I, luckily, right, so, listeners, I can see as well as hear this. Come on. Right. So we did these little called lip rolls. So I, I, you put your fingers, your forefingers beside your mouth like that. And then you go. <laughs> you saw you coming. It's <laughs> lovely. But she called this because actually you do it for a Lip minute rolls. or two makes you your kind of face really buzzy. And it, I mean, she said it's really good for your sinuses and they call it sonic Ooh. caffeine. Oh, my like goodness. That. So they've got the, on this playlist of 10 songs that Forio put together. Um, of course, number one, Feral Williams, Happy. Oh, of course. Oh, Obvious, really, Oh, we did it? that. And honestly... I just, it was brilliant. After So after Don't my session, my warming up, my relaxing breathing, yeah. my vocal folds being Aww. stretched and then singing that song, honestly, it made my day. Can't tell you. Yeah. Shall I tell you a couple of the other songs? Yes, on go on, because I can't imagine ever being able to sing. <laughs> Queen, Don't Stop Me Now. Oh, I can do that. Yes, oh, I can do that. Yes. You can do that one. And I yes. think, obviously, I will survive. Yes. Always a winner, that one. And then Uptown Funk. So there's quite a good, you can you can see how, where this is all going. Very Gen X, isn't it? It's Honestly, not really. It was yeah, brilliant. It's not a millennial so I, playlist, is no, it? Do you no. think it could work for someone who is so god-awful at singing? Oh, I'm god-awful at singing. Absolutely. But oh. it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're just doing it for the enjoyment and the glowing skin benefits afterwards. There, there we are. Okay, so now I'm going to take us on a little walk or a little skate down memory lane for some nostalgia noodling. Oh, exciting. It's my birthday soon. And I was thinking, what would I need? I don't really need anything. But what would make me happy? Some roller skates <laughs> make me happy. <laughs> my friend Nadia and I, well, she found a woman who can teach roller skating. And then I thought, well, not, we're not talking roller blades we're talking proper 1980s proper with the four, four wheels. wheels yeah a boot, roller a boot, skates a boot yeah on wheels. proper boot do you remember so I grew up on quite a big um estate there was a lot mm. of tarmac 
Um, and on the estate, there was not not loads to do, but we did, a lot of us had roller skates. Hmm. So we would spend a lot of our time car dodging around cul-de-sacs. Um, hmm. So I thought, oh, well, that'd be good. I'll revive that. But turns out I'm way, way ahead of the curve. TikTok has already revived. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Skates. So there's a, a TikToker called Anna Cotto, A-N-A-C-O-T-O, who does the most amazing routines um, on her roller skates, not her roller Is blades. she 52? And... Uh, no, she's a she's about <laughs> she's a eighteen. Teen. Of course, yeah. she is. Yeah. And so I had a quick look at Google Trends to say whether I was making this up or not, whether it's true. But actually, the the phrase "off the charts" was the oh. was what they used to refer to sales of roller skates in the last wow. three weeks. So I'm going to get myself a pair. I have to get a Moxie pair. Apparently, I did much googling. Oh, this um, is the brand. Yeah. Yeah, and then I've got to try and work out what to wear. Oh, the outfit. Yes. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> yes. You will do a video, won't you, of your oh, first? Of course, I will. I can't do anything an audience, Trish. You know that. Um, <laughs> and my and then we'll do one of you in your plaster cast with your broken, yeah. <laughs> broken it will, arm. It will be my knees, Trish. That oh, go they'll, first. Get, they'll go. Yeah, yeah. they'll take perfect. you down. So watch out. What have you been oh. nostalgia noodling? Well, about? Um, filthy books. Oh God. <laughs> You sent me three emails this week, and each of those emails has had the word erection in it. I'm really worried about you. (laughs) Yes, it's Neil away or something. It's for a later episode, as well. You know, our sex special. You know, know. you know. Anyway, so do you do you remember there was always that kind of first filthy book that you read, and you know, one minute you're reading Agatha Christie because you think you're quite grown up and you've grown out. You're reading (laughs) Enid Blyton, and then you sort of happen upon a sort of dog-eared copy somehow of a well-thumbed version of the thorn birds either like oh, in the your mum's cupboard birds. and then you kind of from there you moved on to the sort of horror stuff like james herbert's the rats do you remember that which oh was also God. quite i filthy. don't like horror it was well, filthy and stretch, horrific <laughs> pure filth. filth just filth just absolute mm. filth well it wasn't anywhere else was it because there was no porn hub there was no, <laughs> there, was no there was nothing there was no, no. way of and we weren't going to go into the uh, oh god no. top shelf of the news agent stuff. No, oh, no, no. Oh, no. You've got your information, isn't it? And mm. um, agony aunts. Well, have you? What are you doing? You're reviving them, Trish. You're creating a special bookshelf at home. <laughs> good too. Good night. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and do rate and review us too. We would be terribly grateful. And we'd love you to share your midlife experiences with us on our new Facebook group. And you can also contact us via the website or on social media. And if you haven't listened to all the episodes of Series 1, they're still available for download. And there's loads and loads of facts, statistics, interviews and advice in there for women in midlife. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.